In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Hi there, welcome to the Root of All Success podcast with me, the real Jason Duncan. This is a podcast where I interview some of America's most powerful entrepreneurs and I talk with them about how they got to success, how they grew incredible companies. Generally speaking, my guests have a net worth, personal net worth of somewhere north of five million. Their businesses are creating at least $2 million in annual revenue and they started their business on their own without the help of a family business or a franchise. Generally speaking, those are general rules. So what we're talking about in this podcast is the theory that I have that there are these five indisputable keys to success. I refer to them as the five P's, passion, place, people, preparation, and plan. And I look at these five P's and I kind of filter them through the people that I interview on the podcast. And what I find is that every single time I talk to a successful entrepreneur, their stories and their businesses intersect with those five P's somewhere. So we're going to talk about that today with our guests. But before we get into that, I want to talk about where we're filming. So this podcast is not only an audio podcast, it's on all the podcast players, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, etc. It's also on my YouTube channel and my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash C for channel slash the real Jason Duncan. So you can watch these podcasts as we record these here live from the standard at the Smith house in Nashville, Tennessee. We're in the matador room, which is a gorgeous place. The standard is 18,000 square feet of Southern style and sophistication. It is one of the happy places for me on earth. I love coming here. It's one of the top five cigar bars in the country amazing steaks. The restaurant's just five stars. Unbelievable experience. If you ever come to Nashville, you need to look me up and you need to come take a look at the standard. It's one of the great places in Nashville. And we're very honored to have Josh Smith, the owner and proprietor, allowing us to record these podcasts here in the Matador Room at the standard. This episode today is brought to you by Results University. You can go to resultsuniversity.org. It is the world's premier online educational platform for entrepreneurs and business leaders. It covers five subject areas of entrepreneurship, leadership, sales, financial literacy, and even has elective courses in spirituality and faith. It takes, uh, there's 27 courses, over 200 lessons, takes anywhere from 18 to 24 months to complete. It's completely self-guided. The online tuition is very reasonable. It's certainly a lot less expensive than getting an MBA or a bachelor's or a master's in entrepreneurship. And it'll actually prepare you for everything you need to know about how to start, how to build, how to grow, and how to exit a company successfully. So that's what Results University is all about. Are you ready for success? For the listeners to this podcast, you can go to resultsuniversity.org slash root like the root of all success podcast, but resultsuniversity.org slash root. And you get a special discount on tuition just for being a listener to the podcast. All right. That's enough of the pre-show stuff. Let's go ahead and get straight into the show. All right. So after walking away from a so-called perfect career in finance, 
my guest took a position as a project manager where she worked with a seasoned crew of subcontractors to build a French chateau in Bel Air. And then, of course, she moved here to Nashville, where we're recording this today, to that was in 2016, I think. And she said that she wanted to bring her to bring to Nashville her sense of California style. And so starting with a focus on residential condo market, she grew the CA South, which is her company. We'll talk a lot about that today. CA South Fund to what now includes multifamily mixed use, industrial and office projects, as well as opportunity zone projects. And she has been involved in the development and construction of over $780 million worth of projects. Over a million square feet have been developed to date. And not only is she a licensed in real estate, commercial and residential contracting, but also has a private pilot's license, which I didn't know until mm-hmm. I read the bio. That's pretty cool. And has a bare boat charter sailing certification, which I happen to know that you were on a sailboat recently <laughs> because I know your husband. And he was telling me a little bit about that. She has been named as a woman of influence by the Nashville Business Journal. Uh, she was one of the top finalists in the 2019 Entrepreneur of the Year Next Awards. And the list goes on and on. I believe when I looked at it, she had been featured in over 14 different publications. So I want to welcome to the root of all success, Meg Obal Epstein. Thank you, first of all, for being here. This is such an honor to have you on the show. So tell us, as we get started, how did you go from the perfect career in finance that you described, like, this is awesome, to, well, let me move from California to Nashville and start this amazing development company. Tell us how you did that, and then we'll kind of dig in a little bit. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad I qualified for a successful (laughs) entrepreneur. But, you know, when I was graduating from college, I was going into finance because that was sort of what you did or, you know, to be an analyst. And what I realized, I was in Barcelona studying abroad senior year and really fell in love with a lot of the architecture there, obviously. And so I thought, I don't want to go back and just live in spreadsheets. And so I got a job by, I was, I went to school in Westwood at UCLA. So it was right by all these beautiful, huge mansions. And I would go and run around the neighborhoods and got to know a couple of the contractors that were building the houses. And anyways, talk to them into giving me a job out of college with no experience in construction. But, you know, they threw me in a job site with a bunch of a bunch of contractors essentially. And so, you know, I'd eat off of the taco truck every day and just was one of the guys <laughs> for a couple of years. So I learned construction that way. And it worked out because I probably would have gotten laid off because that was right, right before the recession, you know, 2008 recession. So that worked out and I learned, you know, the ins and outs of building and all about concrete and grading and all those things. And so that gave me a good foundation for, you know, being in development I've always been interested in development, but it wasn't going to happen at that time because the market just halted. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the five P's of success, as I referred to in the intro, is being at the right place at the right time. Right. And it sounds to me like your jogging circuit put you accidentally in the right place at the right time. Would you agree with that? Kind of being at the right place at the right time? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about the first person or so that you met. Like, was there, did that person stay instrumental in how you worked through becoming proficient in the construction business or was that just kind of a fluke that person and then you move on to other people or what? Yeah. I mean, my very first boss was, you know, pretty integral because he gave me a chance. I mean, in 2008, there were plenty of more experienced construction managers out there that needed a job. But I think that 
you know, having a balance of more an academic approach to construction was worked out. So, I mean, for him giving a chance on me, I think was great. More relevant to today is probably, you know, one of my first investors in the commercial space. Once I got to Nashville, there's a few key people that I would, you know, not being able to get to where I am because of them. Well, that's, so thank you for bringing that up because again, that I think right place, right time is part of that, but also right, knowing the right people and and Mm -hmm. the power of that network and having the right person that can kind of give you that nudge and into the right direction. So share as much as you're comfortable with, but like when you move from California to Nashville who was that first investor that you can really think that guy or that lady, he or she was the person that really pushed me to this new opportunity? Sure. I would have to say my very first fund investor. So when it's right place at the right time, and I think about that, I'm still a firm believer, you know, you make your own luck, right? And mm-hmm. everyone... so. I was running around those job sites, but it was because I loved architecture and I was going to do anything to that job. And I, you know, whether or not to end up on a job site. So I just like to say that for other entrepreneurs out there. Right. And my first investor, I had no real track record and experience and I cold called him and he came down to come look at one of my first projects here and he invested $8 million with me. And I didn't know at the time how big of a deal that was to get my career started. But like, I didn't know that people just didn't write checks like that normally, or, you know, they expect a lot more from in terms of track record. I mean, I've gone on to find, you know, I have exponentially more deals now and I know what institutional investors look for and what normal, you know, family offices look for and how to structure deals and all those things. But I didn't know you know, I mean, I cold called him off the internet and he came down, he liked the deal and he liked, you know, he liked me. He said he saw a lot of potential in me and he invested in my first deal. So, you know, I would definitely wouldn't be here without him taking a chance on me. For wow. Sure. That is great. And of course, you know who he is. He knows who he is and you can be all listeners to this and you and I can be that person for somebody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the power we have, like, the keys to success include knowing the right people. I think, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, but you're not going to sit at home or in your home office or at your office and meet that right person. You got to get out there. So what would you do? You cold call that guy. You are like, I'm going to go find the right. I don't know who the right person is. I don't know who that is, but you ended up finding him. So I love what you said. You make your own luck. And it's funny how the harder you work, the luckier you get. Right. A lot of people people say that, right? I mean, it's really, and people have better, you know, connections or they grew up with in a, you know, I didn't know anything. Like my dad has his own business. He's a, but he's, he's a sign hanger. Um, he builds signs and, you know, my mom was more like a mom and a nurse. And so I didn't really have any exposure to family offices or, you know, the country club crowd. It was very like a, you know, I grew up in Sacramento in a rural area. It wasn't, I didn't know anything about those, like how finance happens, you know, in New York. And and now that's the world I completely understand, but I really had to just figure it out a bit, hit or miss, you know? So that goes back into, I want to dig into CA South in just a minute, but I think we're in a good spot here with these, the keys to success. So we've talked about the right place, right time. We've talked about the right people, but you mentioned you're starting to allude to your preparation, like what you learn and preparation is kind of the, you don't necessarily have to have a degree in it, but what prepared you to be successful as a developer, real estate, construction, et cetera? What would you point to that helped prepare you for that? 
I wish I could say, I mean, I loved going to UCLA, but I don't buy any of the information I actually <laughs> learned. It was a, you know, a great experience and I met amazing people. And But one thing was the CCIM courses. That was very integral for me to get up to speed quickly on and commercial. What's, what, what? It's commercial. Actually, no, I have to look at what it stands CCIM. for. CCIM. It's a commercial real estate designation, but it's essentially four pretty rigorous courses on development and... So I'm Googling it right here. Let's see. Certified commercial investment member. Yeah. There you Certified go. commercial investment member. And there's some pretty rigorous courses in there that are applicable to real estate development. And so that was kind of how I learned to underwrite and kind of quickly get up to speed in commercial real estate. And then on the other end is just I was willing, and I think a lot of people in my generation or younger are kind of you know, unwilling to get on the phone and really reach out to people. And to be honest, when I first had a deal that I wanted funded, I literally Googled like real estate funding. Like, you know what I mean? And I learned all the difference between debt and equity and what kinds of, you know, equity and who writes checks and what's the difference between an investment banker and a private equity firm, you know, and high net worth and syndicating and all those things. And it was really just being willing to put in the work and, you know, on the phones really in the beginning to yeah. kind of get a sense, you know? So I want to refer back to your experience at UCLA, not to disparage UCLA or college degrees, et cetera. Yeah. But what I find that your story and most successful entrepreneurs is that in my experience, and you can tell me what yours is and the listeners can decide what their experience is as well. But I think probably 50% of the successful and, you know, successful is kind of a weird term that everybody has different ideas of what that means. But Successful entrepreneurs, about 50% have college degrees, 50% don't. So there's really, whether you have one or not, but the ones who do generally say, well, there are some things that I learned that kind of pushed me in the right direction, but yeah. there's no foundation by under which that I've used to build my career. So for, I'll give you my story. I mean, I have a bachelor's degree in ministry and I spent 13 years in ministry. That certainly doesn't help me be an entrepreneur who owns eight businesses, you know, been on the Inc 5,000 list. That didn't help me directly. And then my master's is in education where I taught school again, doesn't help. So how do you see how your experience at UCLA actually fed into what you do? Did it help? Did it not help? Was there slight help or what would you say? Yeah, I think it definitely gave me a strong foundation for, I've always had a very mathematical mind and I've liked school. So I think there was, it took quite a bit of accounting that obviously is very applicable to my business today, but just in terms of, it's a very academic school. And so it doesn't have, I didn't, there was not a lot of vocational and my husband and I will go back and forth and joke because he went to USC and my general counsel went to USC. And obviously <laughs> there's always this fun rivalry, but I do see that they had a little more vocational, you know, more applicable type courses. So, yeah. so you actually, when you had your degree, you earned the degree in California at UCLA. And then some years later you decided to move to Nashville. When did the CCIM Institute become part of your story? In 2016, when I moved here. So my original background, when I was building homes in Bel Air, they were commercial size projects because they were, you know, over 50 million. A lot of the homes that met the firm I work for was building. But when I moved to Nashville, I could see that that wasn't the opportunity. <laughs> there weren't, you know, there weren't. Not very many $15 million houses. Yeah. Yeah. And so I knew that the commercial space, I mean, it was easy to see that Nashville was kind of on the brink of growth or is already you know, growing quite a bit. And so I needed to understand the commercial space 
And that's kind of why I went that route. Okay. So talk to us today about what CA South is and what you're doing. Like, like give the listeners an understanding of you moved to Nashville, you set up this company, great success story about finding that first guy to invest. But what do you guys do now? What's going on right now? Right now, started with a condo platform. And basically the idea was, is I looked at the Nashville market and I said, what was missing? And I didn't have anywhere that I really was excited to live, you know, in terms of, I wanted to live downtown and I didn't see a project that I really wanted to live in. And so I kind of looked and I thought, okay, if there's all these people moving from California and Chicago and New York, what are they looking for? What is undersupplied in the market? And so that was the impetus for starting the condo platform. And so we have, let's see, four condo projects in various stages of development right now. And that's to address a sort of middle market, affordable luxury, not trying to, you know, compete with the four seasons or, you know, that type of development, but, and not try to be, you know, very basic, but architecturally modern, architecturally different and clean spaces and kind of a different approach and doesn't look like everything else being built. So that was the first platform. Now that's branched into opportunity zone, longer term holds. So that lends itself to multifamily mixed use Mm -hmm. and as well as industrial flex. So that's another asset class that was largely undersupplied that, you know, I try to just look for what's missing in the market. It's usually because it's harder to finance like condos and spec industrial and get over that hurdle to be able to supply it and deliver, you know, into a market that isn't as competitive mm-hmm. essentially. So now we do, we have about 450 million under development in opportunity zone, mixed use type projects and industrial. And is that all here in Tennessee? Mm-hmm. All in Nashville. right? Now. All in Nashville. Wow. Yeah. So Nashville city council and the mayor and <laughs> taxpayers must love that because you're bringing a lot of opportunity for tax revenue, property tax revenue, et cetera, for this, for the city. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, eventually I could see us exporting the model into other Southeastern markets, but at the moment, why would anyone want to leave one of the most darling market, you know, investment markets in the country, especially since the pandemic started, you know, all of those New York investors and they, they want to put their capital somewhere. Yeah. Um, so CA South is primarily a real estate development company. Is that how you define it? Right. And in order to develop, we also, we raised our first fund last year and we, we've since closed it out, but we manage a private equity fund that deploys capital into the developments as well. So if anybody's listening who really digs your story and digs what's going on, how would you invite them to reach out if they, I mean, I'm sure there's people that want to buy something that you're developing or maybe want to invest. How would they, you know, we'll do more about how to get in touch at the end, but what would you want them to know before they reach out to you? And what are you looking for? We primarily only work with institutional investors. So Mm -hmm. I'm not passing the hat of the country club, like taking $50,000 checks generally, or, you know, so it's a very different type of investor. Usually it's just one check writer per deal and the deals are upwards of 50 million or so. So it fits, lends a lot more um, easily to family office and institutions. Now that would be one thing I'd want to know just because there's, you know, a lot of people 
will want to just talk <laughs> to yes. me or, you know, pick my brain or whatever. And you I don't have time for that. I mean, I don't want to say it like that. I love meeting people, but I can't always meet everyone. All right. Well, you know, the story of success for entrepreneurs is that you have to have a goal. You've got to have, like, there's a result you're trying to achieve. And if people are keeping you off from doing that, whether it's just calling it, as you said, pick your brain, which is, I think all of us as entrepreneurs hate it when somebody says, Hey, I want to pick your brain, which means I would like a free consulting session with you. Right. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is if somebody has a family office and they're really looking at the national market, that CA South may be something they want to reach out to and talk to you. So, because you're very successful. So let's talk about success. If we kind of dive in to what Meg believes about success, if you had to define success in your own words, and it's always a difficult definition to come up with, which is why I'm talking to give you some more time to think. Yeah. <laughs> but what would you say success is in general? So, I mean, obviously people initially think it has to do with you know, it's a financial element and it is to a large degree. I just spent the early part of my career working for essentially, you know, hundred millionaires, you know, people that are on a totally different level and I actually in their personal spaces, their bedroom, you know what I mean? Building their homes. Right. And you can have so much money and be incredibly miserable. So that always kind of shaped, I think what I thought about success almost one for one. I mean, I've watched some very, you know, the wealthiest, most miserable people I've ever seen. So I think that really, I was always cognizant of that when I, you know, was going to get married and that type of thing. But now I think for me, it's, are you able to have enough autonomy and financial resources to have enough freedom to do what you want to do? Right. So for me, that's convenience. And it is, it's obviously does have financial. I mean, when you can hire people to do anything you don't want to do, or you can, you know, travel in the most convenient way or, you know, those type of things, I think it really makes you happier. Now, I don't think I would consider myself successful if, you know, a lot of people have money, but they don't have any freedoms. And so, to me, it's like, okay, I can decide I want to launch a new vertical and I have enough resources and I have enough intelligent people working for me that I can decide to do that. Or I can leave at 12 today because I want to go home or, you know what I mean? I don't, right. but it's like, it allows you to have enough freedoms to do what you want. And so that's what I would think, I, you know, it, in terms of how I just find success, in my company, I think building a trustworthy brand is important and having a reputation that, you know, you do good work and having enough resources to be able to give back to people and really help people, I think is something that, you know, I wouldn't consider someone successful with if they didn't consider that. Yeah. Well, I love what you said. And I think I want to kind of unpack that a little bit for the listeners is to know that first of all, money is not the defining characteristic of success. Although, it has something to do with it because without money, you can't get to those other things you talked about. So for instance, freedom, I mean, a homeless person is completely free, but I don't think we would consider that success, but there's this fine balance between somebody who's a hundred million dollars and who's miserable and has no freedom of time to somebody who has a, a zero net worth. That's a homeless person who has lots of free time <laughs> somewhere in between is what true success is. And so in my interviews of successful people like you, what I found is that, I think you were hitting it right on the head is that freedom to do what it is that you want to do and be able to give back in the way that makes sense and 
kind of builds you up and builds the community up. So that was kind of what I heard you say. Is that, am I hearing, am I hearing right? right? Yeah. Only just so much as to say, obviously I wouldn't consider myself successful. You know, you have to have the foundation there, you know, whatever that is for you. For me, it's my happy marriage. It's creating a product that I love and I am passionate about working with people that I love. Like those things are the foundation. You add money to that and it just makes it a lot easier and you can get there a lot faster is the point. And so I just think that a lot of people tend to think, you know, that money is either the answer or it's evil or something, you know, like there's a lot of weird ideas about money. And I just look at it in terms of its opportunity and freedom. And, you know, I've even gone, I have been an executive director of a nonprofit for a long time. And what I ran into is, you know, if you want to do and make a big difference, you just, you need the resources to be able to, you know, get your concept out there or, you know, hire people to do it. So unfortunately, even if you have the best hopes or, you know, intentions in the world, it takes resources on this planet to execute. And so if you're on the right track and you have that foundation, then I think it just makes it exponentially easier and you can get what you want faster. I love that. That's so good. That's a great perspective. And I think it really does start with our foundation. So if, you know, if people want to be successful, but they're greedy or they're manipulative or they're self-centered, I think what that does, it ends up leading to no matter how much money they get, it just amplifies who they really are. And people might look at them and go, okay, well, they're on the Forbes list or they're listed in the National Business Journal as one of the richest people in Nashville. But if they're still a greedy person or they still are manipulative, I think most people, given the opportunity to dig under, get under the hood a little bit, would go, no, they're not really successful. They, right. they have money, but they're not really successful. Right. Which is why I think when I started this podcast, The Root of All Success, it was, I want to look how does success grow and real true success isn't it, which is about freedom of time, energy, and money, things to be able to do what you want to do. And for some people that freedom of time, energy, and money might be this big, you know, and for those that are just listening, I'm, I'm holding up my fingers just short way apart, but for others, what they want to accomplish is a mile high. So both could be successful, but the perception from the outside was, okay, this guy is not a millionaire, not successful. This guy is a millionaire successful, but that's not true. Right. I mean, do you know a lot of millionaires? Well, you mentioned it. You build houses and help people that were hundred millionaires and they were absolutely miserable human beings. Yes. Nobody wants I that. I hate to say maybe, I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> I hate to say that it was one for one, but I don't, it, it happened to be, I don't know, I had a handful of that, you know, it's a bit of a past life for me, but it definitely, I was 22 at the time. So I remember thinking, okay, like it's not just about money. You know, you have to make sure you're being an ethical, good person and trying to make help of I think essentially comes down to is like, how are you helping others with whether it's being an entrepreneur, like what you're doing, or I'm creating spaces for people that they like and can access affordably or whatever it is. Like, how are you really making an impact on others? And if it's super positive, then I think, you know, you would consider that successful. Yeah. I don't know. I think you alluded to this earlier in your story about what your dad did and what your mom did growing up in Sacramento. You know, I grew up in a home. I'm from the Nashville area. I grew up here and I was a firmly in the middle class. We, we never were without what we needed. My mom was a stay at home mom. My, my dad worked for, you know, large corporation for 40 years. Or, it was a long, long time, but we never not had what we needed. But we didn't go to Hawaii on vacation. We didn't go to Turks and Caicos. We didn't do those big things, but we enjoyed our life. But I can remember now as an adult looking back and the subtle cues 
not necessarily directly from my parents or my church or whom or my circle, but being told or giving this concept that money, if you had a lot of money, there was probably something wrong. Like not evil, but if that guy, we were suspicious of the guy that lived in the big house or drove the really nice Jaguar or whatever. We were suspicious of that. But now as an adult and a successful entrepreneur, I I can look at that and go, that was toxic way to think about money. And there's a more healthy way to look at it. You mentioned a little bit about how you grew up, but is there any more to that story that kind of resonates with you? Like the same way of looking at money? Cause you said at 22, you started noticing, okay, just because you have money doesn't mean you're actually happy. Yeah. I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur, so he really just taught me to work hard. And he always said that money gave you choices. He's like, right. you know, I have enough money to, if I see some, you know, for him, it would be some Indian motorcycle or something, you know, I can have that because I saved my money and I have enough cash to buy it, you know, that type of philosophy. So I just apply that on a bigger scale with what I do now. I like that. If you have money, just gives you choices. And isn't that what we want? We want choices in life, choices to serve, choices to give back, choices to spend money on yourself, choices to buy things. And really all of us want that. Right. And for me, it's really, you know, it might be a personal thing. I'm a bit of a minimalist. I grew up, you know, camping with all these accessories and all this stuff. My dad loves motorcycles and trucks and all these things. And I tend to be like, you know, I don't want to have a lot of stuff. So for me, what I like is spending on, you know, more experiences and and just convenience. Like if I travel, I'm not going to, I don't want to worry about how, you know, try to get there cheaply and those type of things. So it's, so for me, it's about yeah, the freedoms, but just convenience and not having, I don't like having a lot of stuff. So for yeah, that's, that's great. I think yeah. your dad and I probably have a lot in common. We grew up going camping, my family and I did. That was a vacation every year. Yeah. We would sometimes rent houseboats, go to the lake, but most of the time we go camping. And now as an adult, we have a travel trailer and we yeah. go everywhere. As a <laughs> yeah. matter of fact, I sat down over the weekend and planned out every single trip for the next 12 months. I mean, we go somewhere every single month, yeah. sometimes for a week, sometimes for just a few days. But being able to do that, I consider successful because the yeah. result I wanted for my life was I wanted to be able to have choices. I wanted to be able to do what I want to do. And I want to be able to give back in a way that makes sense. Not that I am guilted into giving back. And mm-hmm. now I'm in a place where I can do that and it's growing and I'm able to do things. So that's fantastic. I want to call back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago and you use the word I want to do. You said passion. You said, I want to do something I'm passionate about. So the first P and the things that I teach on the five P's of success, the indisputable keys to success is passion. And I look at that in two ways. Number one is just the excitement about what it is you do. You really love it. And, and I can see and hear in you. And from what I heard about you before we met was that you indeed are passionate about what you're accomplishing, you know, providing affordable opportunities for people to live in the places where they want to live and get the things that they were used to in the other places where they moved from. But there's also the second part of passion that's not just about being excited about it, but the word passion actually means willing to suffer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think about in terms like the, the passion of the Christ with the, you know, that wasn't about Jesus was like, oh, I'm so excited to go do this. Well, no, he was willing to do it. So for a lot of people I teach, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you're not willing to suffer for the thing that you're building, I don't care how excited you are about it. You're not going to be successful. So, so passion to me is an important key to success, if not the most important key to success. So what would you think and what would you tell the listeners about how passion on those two ways, right? Excitement and then willing to suffer. How did that work into Meg's story of success and building what you've built? Sure. So 
you know, I meet a lot of people that want to be a real estate developer because <laughs> it sounds <laughs> sure. very sexy, right? And we get a lot of people wanting to come work it with us at CA South, which is great. But what I try to tell them is that, you know, the drawing and the, the architecture aspect is a really, it is something I'm very passionate about. I love the design. I love working with amazing architects, both, you know, a couple, several of the architects I work with now came from California and I love that whole process. It's creative, but it really is maybe 4% of what I do, you know, four to 5%. I mean, you, you can go through the design process, but then you have to find the site. You have to, you know, get it, you have to underwrite it and get it paid for and, you know, raise the capital and build it and make sure there's no cost overruns, all these things that go into a successful project. And so I would say, you know, offhand, what I was passionate about is what the, you know, the modern aesthetic. I also really like raising capital and sort of the deal structure of what I do, building the capital stack, you know, working on someone for a long time and they give you your commitment, something like that. I'm very passionate about that. But I mean, all of that is to say that the 95% of it is hard work and persevering through that, right? So before I got that first investor that I had mentioned before, I mean, I was cold calling every day, not knowing what I was doing, just calling like off different lists online and just Googling and calling every day for eight hours a day, you know, until I got one guy that said he'd come to Nashville. And even then he wasn't even sure he was going to invest, you know? So there's a lot of as you said, suffering that went into me getting to where I am today. And I think that you can't have either one, right? Like you can't be completely miserable at what you're doing to get to what, you know, to push through, you have to have some ounce of passion for what you're doing, but you also can't just have be super excited, you know, super passionate about something and not be willing to suffer through. So I think it's about a balance and then there's people like, you know, Sherry Deutschman is one of my mentors. She's incredible. I mean, she made her company successful. It was a medical billing company. Like she wasn't passionate about that at all, but she was passionate about, you know, building the team and giving her people, you know, incentives and all the things that she did to be a great entrepreneur. So I think it's definitely a balance and I don't necessarily think you have to be, you know, super passionate about what you're doing, quote unquote if you've gotten your company in a place that you enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to hear you say that because that's actually, I take great pains to make sure people understand that. Like my big first company that was successful was in the led lighting space. I've yeah. never been passionate about lighting, but what I was passionate about and things you described about Sherry is like, I want to build a team. I want to provide a company that people can work for and love working here and provides for the family, sends their kids to colleges. You know, that's passion. And you know, Sherry actually would be a fantastic. She and I've met a couple of times, but I'd love to have her on the show. So Sherry, if your people are listening, reach yeah. out to me. Well, <laughs> we should get together. But I actually had a good friend that I rode motorcycles with, which is another reason your dad and I probably yeah, get along. Gotta hang out. It worked for Sherry for a long time and loved it. Absolutely loved it. But yeah. I, I think it was before she sold the company. But let's kind of wrap up the conversation with this. So passion, you know, place. We talked about people, preparation. The last P is plan. And when I talk about plan to people, a lot of people misunderstand me and they say, well, I was successful without a plan, without a business plan. And that's not what I'm talking about at all because the business plan has its place. And in Results University, the university I founded, I actually teach people how to write business plans. But I also want them to understand that is not an essential part 
of being successful as an entrepreneur. I started my company uh, in 2010 without a business plan and grew it to be a multi-million dollar company. And I don't know if you had a business plan or not, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about with plan is the ability or strategy, rather the strategy to obtain and deploy the resources required to be successful. In your case, you needed investors. You needed financial resources to be successful. And it sounds to me, based on the story you just told us on this podcast, is that your plan was, I'm going to cold call every single day till I get somebody willing to write me a check. And that was the resources you needed. And once you got it, boom, then you go. So tell us about how, whether a business plan, that's kind of a aside. If you had that, that's fine. But is that how your plan worked or was there more to it than that? That was how my plan worked. I mean, the reality was, is I always knew I wanted to be a real estate developer and that was in my core, you know, since when I was still in college and I thought, okay, I want to be a real estate developer. Now I think what a lot of successful entrepreneurs do now, there's a lot of more brilliant, innovative, you know, I am a working machine. I'm a lot of things and persistent. I'm kind of, you know, I can be really aggressive and I have certain qualities, but there's a lot of people that are more innovative and creative than I am. And what I look at is that you have to be like, I knew I wanted to be a real estate entrepreneur and instead of inventing something or doing something differently, all I can do is I can see a path and I can take advantage of, you know, pivot in a way that takes advantage of certain things. So I notice that there's a gap in the condo market okay, I'm going to collect my data, work towards that and pivot along the same path to where I'm going, which is real estate development. So I think you have to be able to observe enough and take advantage of the opportunities in your space, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. to bend your model towards that while still remaining on track to what the end goal was. So I was going to be a real estate developer. I initially thought I would be developing high-end homes for you know, luxury homes for people. Now I'm doing, you know, industrial buildings in Nashville. So it's, (laughs) yeah, the core goal is still there, but I pivoted based on the market conditions and where the opportunities were and looked for them. And so I think as long as you, you know, you keep like a vision board or your persistence or whatever your goal is, you keep that in mind and stick to it because in entrepreneurship, it's super easy to give up. And I've watched people say they're going to do this thing and then they're going to do another thing. And then they change their mind and they're going to do another thing. So I was a horrible real estate developer in the beginning, like lost money, like horrible, right? <laughs> like I shouldn't have kept doing it, but I literally just kept doing it long enough to where I figured it out and persisted. But, you know, I didn't continue to do the things that were, weren't making me money or commit those mistakes. I pivoted and, and kept going towards that path. So there's this thing that I teach in results university and also teach my coaching clients through uh, my company results through integrity, where I train them on this thing called the law of separation. And you just <laughs> so eloquently described it and you didn't even know you were describing this yeah. law, but the law is that you separate your vision from the strategy. So your vision, I want to be a real estate developer. I want to be a successful real estate developer. That was your vision. And I want to do it, but the way that you do it, the strategies, you use the word pivot, you pivoted a bunch, but your vision stayed constant. And so, so many entrepreneurs who fail, look at that failure and say, okay, well, my vision was wrong. Instead of being a real estate developer, I'm going to run an investment firm or something. And they change the wrong thing. Keep your vision. 
Like right. the vision's the vision, right? Change the strategies. And the strategies, if I really dug in, we could probably figure out that your strategy probably changed six or seven times yeah. before you found the one that worked. And that got you to success. So anybody listening, just stay true to your vision. Stay yeah, and maybe if they do your university, they could figure that out a lot yes. more easily than I did. <laughs> but I think the point is, yeah, you don't want to, what people don't realize is every time you pivot your vision, I mean, you're starting over at ground zero again. And at least I had the lessons, even if I had failed at them, I had those lessons and I still remember certain things, you know, if it's a hundred million dollar deal, I still remember, you know, Hey, I'm not going to get debt from the wrong person or whatever it is like those lessons that I learned the hard way. Um, So yeah, it's just a note to perseverance. And I love it because you know, it's not just theory. It's not me just teaching students about this stuff. It's coming. And I didn't seed you with that concept. You brought that up, (laughs) but I actually, I have as part of our documents is we have a strategy journal and the strategy journal. Every page is at the top of the page. You write your vision and it could be your overall vision, or it could be a project vision, or it could be a specific thing that you've got to accomplish. And then below that, there are seven, I think it's seven blanks for you to write in the date that you come up with a specific strategy. So for this, I'm going to try this for, you know, like cold calling, I'm going to cold call family offices. And then at the end of the little line, it says, did it work or not? You check yes or no. And then if it says no, then you go to the next one. All right, here's my new strategy, Mm -hmm. but you leave that vision alone. Anyways, I guess you can, I'm doing a lot of plugging for my stuff. I guess. No, it sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. Do that. I wish I could have figured that out. It's a fast track to figuring that out. Well, so Meg, how can people get in touch with you? Because I think that you're a very powerful woman in the Nashville market, but not only here, I think your reputation is growing beyond that. I think what's happening is what I'm hearing through you and through other people is that there are people in other states are going, Hey, CA South, we need to pay attention to that. We can take this model to other places. So how can people get in touch with you? And remember, they're not going to call you to pick your brain, but how can people yeah. get in touch with you or get in touch with your company? Yeah. I checked my LinkedIn, you know, weekly. And then on my website is my assistant's email, social that's probably the best way is if emailing my assistant and she'll get the message to me. So your LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash N I N slash Meg Epstein. And that's E I N at the end of her name. And then you can send her an email. Can I give your email address? Or yeah, just assistant? my assistant. And what's, what's her email address? Assistant at CA South development. So assistant at CA South development.com. And so CA stands for California. California South. That's right. <laughs> well, once I heard your story, it's like, okay, what is CA South? I was thinking, is it initials for somebody's name? I go, yeah. Meg, and I know her husband's name. It's not a C or yeah. an A. He's like, oh, it's California. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Is there a cool story behind that? Or is that just... It used to be California South. And then people were like, so confused. They thought I still built in California. And I was like, no, I'm like anti-California. I'm like a full Southerner now. And just, so we just abbreviated it. Well, your timeline, you know, by the way, your timeline was pretty fast on this, at least from my seat is you moved here in 16, Mm -hmm. which we are recording this in early 21. So we're five years removed from that. And you've built something pretty amazing. So that should give comfort to people who are like, I don't know how long is this going to take? I mean, for some people, it doesn't take very long. Others, it might take a lifetime, but you can get to success if you used to keep your vision. So mm-hmm. that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. And think big enough. 
Well, Meg, thank you so much for being here. It's an honor. I'm so glad to finally sit down and talk with the great Meg. Again, I've heard your, oh. your reputation precedes <laughs> you, and not just from your husband, yeah, I know. <laughs> who's also a pretty cool guy in himself. But thank you for being here. I appreciate you kind of sharing with me and with everybody listening a little bit more about your story. And I hope that it inspires people out there to stay committed to that vision and keep going because you never know where you're jogging is going to lead you. Yeah. <laughs> you're jogging around a neighborhood and all of a sudden you run into a person who's going to take you to that next level. So there you have it, guys. My theory about the five P's of success still stands. I mean, if you look at Meg's story, you see passion and place and you see people and preparation and plan, all those things coming together to lead her to, to be the real estate magnate that she is here in Nashville right now. So if you are wanting to be successful, just keep in mind those five P's. As a matter of fact, if you're interested in doing a free assessment on those five P's, you can go to my website, therealjasonduncan.com slash success, and you can take a free five P's of success assessment. And after you finish the assessment, you'll get a personalized report on what your probability of success is. And then if you want to connect with me or one of my certified coaches, we can work directly with you on that. And of course, as I promoted at the beginning, Results University is designed specifically to help you figure those things out and move towards success faster. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being here, Meg. And thank you listeners for watching and listening, for being here. Make sure you subscribe to the Root of All Success podcast on your podcast player. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can get this content as often as we release it. And if you don't mind leaving a good review I would be very, very appreciative of that. So I am the real Jason Duncan. We've been spending time with Meg Epstein, and I will see you on the next episode of The Root of All Success. And until then, remember, Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.